Bear Books presents Ending Samsara, written by JW Voice and read by Daisy Ray. Part 1, Chapter 28, A Misread Message I'm just saying, Tommy boy, two poxy gigs in how many? 39, his manager responded without missing a beat. There we go, 39. Zack smiled his pearly white smile. I'd say we're doing all right. Tom rolled his eyes. You do realise you'll basically be performing at Chicago and Newcastle for free. You keep trying to say that, but I've seen what that festival incident did to my record sales. He studied his friend's reaction. The man flinched as expected and Zack grinned. Yeah, thought that little fact sailed by me, didn't you? The old adage is right on the nose, eh? No such thing as bad publicity. Zack took a large sip of beer and leant back in his chair, thoroughly pleased with himself. So yeah, let's mosey on back to merry old England when this is all done. You can even add another date if you fancy it. We'll pay for the travel expenses with the album streams alone. You're absolutely insufferable, Tom smiled before shaking his head. And you broke that guy's nose. Are the streams going to pay for that too? Hey, Zack pointed his finger. That's a matter for the courts and he attacked me. Fine, glossing over the small riot you created, what about the first show of the tour? Zack sighed. We've been over Chicago, mate. I know you think I'm some kind of diva, but I'm not. I'm a bloody artist. And if you don't supply me with the appropriate equipment... I'm not going to just crack on with the show. He pointed with the neck of his beer bottle. Let that be a little lesson for you. I think I've had more than my share of those in the last couple of months. Fair dinkum, why don't we quit talking shop then and discuss how we're going to get those Sheilas back to the bus tonight? Zack nodded towards the group of three women at the bar. He was gazing principally at the short brunette. She was wearing leather trousers stretched tightly across a large and especially pert pair of buttocks. Her arse is haunting me. I'm fighting every urge to go over and grab it. Tom frowned. I'd definitely keep fighting it, Zack, and I also doubt any of them are single. Yeah, yeah, the Aussie scoffed. Since when has that stopped me? We're at a biker bar, his friend said, lowering his voice. I don't know if that means anything to you. Well, it's the reason we're both in this get-up, Zack replied, referring to their almost identical leather attire. And why, against all odds, this is the only beer I'm going to have. It's all quite deliberate, pal. Yes, I know you're enjoying playing dress-up, but considering where we are, I'd bet my year's salary that they all have big biker boyfriends who wouldn't take too kindly to you eyeballing their women. Zack smirked and took another sip of his beer before slamming it down on the table. Well, there's no harm in asking, is there? He shot to his feet. Tom groaned. Sack! Ignoring his friend's weak protest, Zack sauntered over to the bar. His heavy boots thudded on the hardwood floor a little louder than was necessary. The man was intent on being noticed. Just as he went to noisily order two waters over one of the girl's shoulders, she turned, paused and said the words he'd been hoping to hear. Oh my God, are you Zach Adonis? The US was the territory where his celebrity held the most favour, 
During a short outing this morning alone, he'd been stopped at least a dozen times for selfies. If he'd only managed to soar to the status of B-list in his home country, he was a comfortable A-lister over here. He'd not yet been mobbed in the bar because it's a Friday afternoon. It was still almost empty. All right, love, he said with a grin. Holy shit, it is, said the girl in the bottom hugging leathers. What are you doing here? Her heavily mascarad friend butted in. She wore a tiny white tank top revealing an elaborate piece of naval jewellery beneath it. Well, I'm playing the Amway Centre tomorrow. Me and my mate wanted to check out the local scene, so we took a ride over. Oh my God, you ride? You think I'd be dressed like this if I didn't? He laughed. Our bikes are parked round the back. Suddenly the third woman piped up. She was by far the least made up of the three. Your accent is like so hot. Are you from Australia? Christ, Tilly, don't you know who this is? Leather trousers interjected. She turned to Zack, suddenly adjusting her hair. I'm sorry about my friend. All she listens to is Pantera and old Metallica. Can I help you? said the barman, who'd been patiently watching them until now. Yeah, sorry, mate. Just two waters, please, and whatever these girls are drinking. Oh, wow, thanks. Two bourbons on the rocks and a whiskey sour, said the girl in leather. Zack chuckled. You girls don't mess around, do you? She touched his arm and pointed. I'm Ronnie, this is Tilly and Mel. He smiled at her friends. Nice to meet you all. You fancy joining us? Mel seemed to give Ronnie a look. Veronica? Sure, Ronnie said, brushing her off. As they approached the table, Zack discerned a grimace from Tom. He ignored this and introduced his new friends. So what's with the water, guys? Ronnie asked as she hopped onto a stool. We're not about drinking and driving, said Zack, so you'll have to do the drinking for us. Tilly and Ronnie obliged, finishing their first drinks quickly, and Zack called for the same again. Mel's reticence to join in was soon noticed by the Aussie, when the growingly flirtatious Ronnie knocked back her second whiskey sour in the space of ten minutes. Her friend pulled her to one side and the pair appeared to share a few choice words. Are your mates all right? Zack asked Tilly, who seemed rather taken with Tom. Yeah, don't worry about them, she said with a wave of her hand. So, Tom, are you a musician too? Zack laughed. No, love, Tommy Boy here is my tour manager. Tilly wound a lock of hair round her finger. Ooh, cool. You don't look much like a manager. Tom blushed. No? It's a compliment. Zack drew his attention away from Tom and his new admirer and attempted to listen to the other conversation occurring several feet away. He was only able to pick up the odd word. Just chill, he heard Ronnie hiss in conclusion before the girl returned. Fancy a refill, Zack said to no one in particular. No thanks, Mel snapped while the other two eagerly accepted the offer. After the third drink consumed in their brief time at Zack's table, both Tilly and Ronnie's respective interests were piqued. Ronnie's hand brushed the singer's thigh. So your show tomorrow, is it sold out? Yeah, but we can always find room if you're not doing anything. Ronnie smiled. I'm sure I could make myself free. Mel had remained silent at the far end of the table and continued to nurse her first bourbon. Veronica, she now pressed. Stop calling me that, Ronnie snapped. Another word, please. Ronnie sighed. Sorry, guys. The pair left them for a second time. 
You sure everything is okay? Tom asked Tilly, who was paying little attention to her friends. Yeah, fine. So where are you from? Pennsylvania, Tom said brusquely. He delivered a kick to Zack's foot and nodded towards the other two women. Mel had stormed off mid-conversation. Ronnie returned to them alone. Sorry about her, she said. She's going through some stuff. No need to apologise, Zack said. Tom raised his voice. Sorry, ladies. Can you excuse us for a minute? He quickly dismounted his stool and tugged at Zack, who reluctantly followed him to the bar. Zack leant back on the counter. We're in there, mate, he said, choosing to ignore his friend's solemn demeanour. I've got a really bad feeling about this. Oh, relax, Killjoy. We're two single guys and that Tilly chick looks ready to pounce on you. It's not her I'm worried about. Then what's the problem? Jeez, are you blind or just ignorant? Ronnie and Mel are clearly waiting for people. Mel, Zack said vacantly. The one who just took off, Tom squeaked. She looked pissed and not in the way you use that expression. I don't think she's happy with her friend flirting with you. Why don't you let Ronnie make up her own mind? I didn't see a ring on her finger. I'd say her judgement is becoming increasingly more impaired, especially when you keep plying her with booze. That's also her decision, pal. Christ, you make it sound like I'm forcing those drinks down her neck. That's the other thing, Tom huffed. We're stone cold sober. Don't you see the weirdness in that? What are you saying? Zack said with an eager grin. You want to dump the bikes here and get it on with them? Tom looked away, shaking his head. Sometimes, Zack, I feel like we're communicating in two completely different languages. Yeah, sorry, mate, I'm not fluent in wet blanket. Zack pushed off the bar and marched back to the table, forcing Tom to follow. Sorry about that, ladies, the Aussie grinned. I think my friend is just going through some stuff. What's up, Tom? Tilly asked. Nothing, I'm fine. Hey, Zack, Ronnie said, touching his leg once more. Did you say your bikes are out back? Indeed, you want to see? She nodded and Zack led her towards the rear exit, ignoring further feeble objections from his friend. Outside of the dingy bar... Zack's eyes ached in adjustment to the outside sun. Aside from the two rental Harley-Davidsons, the small parking lot was empty. Oh, awesome, the young woman said with glee. Is yours the sportster? Yeah, Zack said coolly. I've got the same one back home, but mine's in midnight black. He produced his key from his jacket pocket and straddled the bike. He started to rev the engine and Ronnie hopped on behind him sliding her hands around his waist. When he stopped pumping the accelerator, he felt her head slide next to his, her chin resting on his shoulder. Nothing makes me hornier than that sound, she whispered in his ear. Her hairs lifted on the back of his neck. Here, he said, starting to dismount. You have a go. Ronnie giggled with delight and the pair changed places. Zack waited to speak as his new acquaintance produced several powerful rules from the motorbike. I'd say take us for a spin, but I think you've had one too many. Oh, Ronnie said, turning back to pout at him. Zack chuckled. All right, just to the end of the lot. Seriously, Ronnie said, clearly surprised by his response. Zack nodded, kicked up the stand and planted his feet to steady them. The woman was clearly used to motorbikes. 
After one huge rev, they rocketed towards the end of the parking lot. Somewhat startled, Zack tightly clutched her tiny midriff. She braked hard and they skidded in a turn barely a foot before the curb. Ronnie was cackling loudly and Zack did his best to hide his alarm. Okay, that'll do, Evil Knievel, he said with an insincere grin. His heart was racing. He hopped off the rear and Ronnie slid back on the seat. Zack slowly manoeuvred the bike back to where they'd come from. He dismounted again and helped her to the ground. She stumbled forward, which felt like no accident, and he felt her chest press against him. Zack needed no further cues, he leant down and kissed her. She immediately forced her tongue into his mouth. She had a strong citrus taste from the whisky sours. When he eventually pulled away, she smiled at him and tousled her hair, her sultry eyes half open. I've had sex to your songs at least a hundred times, she said rather abruptly. Zack laughed, unsure of how to respond. She took him by the hand and dragged him back towards the building. When he thought they were about to return to the bar, she deviated from the back door and pulled him towards a staff-only entrance. He followed her through this door and they entered a narrow corridor lined with beer barrels. She roughly grabbed him behind the neck, pulling him in for further fierce kissing. He let her force him back against the wall. She bit his lower lip, a little too hard, he thought, without protesting. After pressing her warm body against his and dragging her lips, teeth and tongue down his neck, she descended down his chest and lifted the bottom of his jacket and shirt to kiss his lower abdomen. He could see where this was going. When she momentarily returned to full height, he slid his hands past the small of her back and firmly squeezed her buttocks over her tight pants. She giggled, dropped down to her knees and leered at him from the ground. Zack felt strangely overpowered. She yanked free his belt, then undid the top button of his Kevlar jeans and roughly unzipped his fly. Several minutes later she was giggling again and wiping her mouth with the back of her hand. They returned to the bar via the low-lit corridor. Her friend Mel was the first person Zack noticed as they entered, stood beside an enormous man in a full biker suit. All sexual desire now eliminated, the Aussie felt overwhelmingly self-conscious. The room was noticeably busier and Ronnie's disgruntled friend was not the only person glaring at them. Tom was still sitting with Tilly as Zack approached the pair. He heard raised voices behind him. By the time he'd reached the table, Ronnie was no longer beside him. His manager was visibly distracted. Zack took his stool and looked over to the bar. More than two people were arguing. The huge biker beside Mel now had Ronnie by the wrist. Let's get out of here, Zack grunted at his friend. Tilly, another man called over. Who the hell are these guys? Zack turned to see a skinhead with a neck entirely consumed by tattoo ink. Relax, Caleb, Tilly said, waving him off. Zack locked eyes with the man. He was similar to him in height, but notably broader. Hey, the man said with recognition. Aren't you that singer? G'day, Zack said, failing to control the unsteadiness in his voice. The man moved to within an uncomfortable distance. What are you doing with my friends here? Oh, nothing, mate, just having a drink. My buddy here says you went outside with his girl. Zack peered over to see Ronnie trying to pull away from the enormous bearded man who was still clutching her wrist while Mel looked on. 
Oh yeah, just showing in my bike, pal. No need to worry. Now, I think he'll decide if there's something to worry about. The tattooed gentleman was eerily calm. Tilly, step away for a minute, would you? Caleb, she replied with an eye roll. I won't ask again. Fine, Tilly huffed, marching away from the table. Dude, we were just talking. Caleb lifted a hand to silence Tom. I'll hear from you in a minute. He raised his voice. Crocodile Dundee, I'm talking to you. What were you doing with Ronnie? Listen, mate, I didn't know I was talking to anyone's girl. All I know is, your lady friend over there is a fan and I was just showing her my bike. He shrugged passively. Look, we're going to get out of your hair. Zack went to stand up. The bulky gentleman slapped a hand on his shoulder and forced him back onto his seat. The man released his hand and pointed a finger in Zack's face. No one is going anywhere until we get to the bottom of something. The Aussie's eyes darted to Tom and his friend glanced at the exit. We're not looking for trouble, Zack said. I apologise if I've stepped on any toes. Where were you? Zack heard the bearded man scream from the bar. The musician's heart was a jackhammer. He could feel it in his temples. He focused on stopping his legs from shaking as he planned his next move. In the next instant, however, he was handed a lifeline. Two large and recognisable figures appeared in his periphery, like a buoyancy aid thrown into open water. We got a problem, boys, boomed Jerome, towering over the man with the neck tattoos. We might have, Caleb replied, standing his ground. I'm going to need you to step away from my friend here, Claude interjected. His gravelly voice had never sounded so soothing. He casually placed a hand on the holster of the gun plainly visible at his waist. The action was as smooth and subtle as stretching and it caused Caleb to take a step back. Well boys, Caleb said to Zack. Looks like mum and dad are here to pick you up but this ain't over, not by a long shot. We'll be heading off now gentlemen. Jerome tapped his charge on the shoulder. Zack could have hugged him in that moment. The colossal close protection officer did not divert his gaze from the bikers for a second as all four of them headed for the door. Zack, however, stared only at the exit, fearing he might be stopped at any second. Jesus Christ, am I happy to see you boys, Zack yelled when they were outside, catching his breath. Trust you to mess with the biker gang. Claude said as the four reached the Harleys. It's a good job Tom asked us to stay close. We came as soon as I got his text. Yeah, fair shout, Tom. Zack agreed. He'd almost forgotten they'd been waiting nearby. His back was how he'd left it. He'd half expected the tyres to have been slashed. Stay here for a minute, you two. Claude turned to his colleagues. Jerome, pull the car round. Zack's hands were still shaking when he finally started his motorbike. He and Tom wheeled over to the main road and the blacked-out Mercedes followed closely behind them. Have you got a death wish? Tom asked when they finally made it back onto the tour bus. No harm, no foul, Tommy boy, Zack said. Much to Tom's distaste, his usual bravado had now fully returned. I'm considering cancelling the show tomorrow, Tom said, completely straight-faced. Oh, don't be ridiculous, that's why we have the boys. No, Zack, we have security for your protection, not to rescue you when you try to fool around with some psychopath's girlfriend. 
Just what exactly were you doing with her back there? Zack smiled. A gentleman never tells. I'm glad you find this all so amusing because you put my life in danger as well as Jerome and Claude's. Do you ever think of anyone but yourself? Hey, it takes two to tango and she did most of the tangoing. Besides, she never said she had a bloke. I'm the innocent one here. You are many things, Zack, but innocent is not one of them. I'm being serious about the show. We don't know what those guys are capable of. Supposed to turn up to the arena tomorrow. Then stick some more security on, he sighed. Look, there's no need to get your panties in a bunch. We'll just lay low while we're still in town. Yeah, lay low is right. You are expressly forbidden from leaving this bus. Fine, mate. I wanted to get some writing done anyway. Tom nodded, just as he was about to turn away, Zack said. I'm almost out of weed, though. You're going to have to get me some. Oh, come on, Zack. Can't you just wait? When we hit the right state, you can buy it yourself. You mean waiting till DC? Six shows from now? Not likely. Get them to come here, then. My guy's in Daytona Beach. He won't drive this far, Tom groaned. I thought we went over this in England. My job title is tour manager. Buying illicit goods for you isn't in my job description. Okay, I'll ride over myself. No, I said you're lying low. I definitely don't want you going anywhere on that bike. Well then, I guess we're at an impasse. Zack paused, awaiting his friend's inevitable surrender. Look, those guys know what I look like too. What if I get jumped while I'm out? Please, who are they going to be on the lookout for? The famous Aussie singer or some forgettable American stiff? I can't believe you're making me do this after everything. Hey, you want me to stay inside and I've agreed, but I need provisions. You can't have your cake and eat it. If you want to blame anyone, blame the state of Florida for its archaic drug laws. I'll do it on one condition. Name it, buddy. He attempted to sound magnanimous and it came out condescending. You stay on the bus until sound check and the second the show is done, you hop straight back on. Zack considered the proposition. It wasn't a particularly thrilling one, but worst case scenario, he supposed he would invite some groupies onto the bus post-performance. He smiled, extending his hand. Deal, he said, and the pair shook on it. I need a helmet, Tom grumbled. I can't believe you didn't get us any when you picked up the bikes. It's Florida. You don't need to wear one. You drive like a grandma anyway. After handing his friend a wad of cash and convincing him not to stop for a helmet en route, Zack was left alone on the bus. A twinge of remorse accompanied the satisfaction of getting his own way yet again. He knew he was being manipulative. Suppose Tom was right and he was ambushed by bikers on the way. Jerome and Claude wouldn't be there to protect him this time. Zack put this out of his mind and picked up his acoustic from the corner of the room. Two joints smoked and a new opening riff in development he felt like he was getting into the zone. He jotted down some notes and started thinking of lyrics. Tempted by one of Hell's Angels, he started to hum over his new intro. The sweetest of kisses, but man that girl seems unstable. He shook his head. Ugh, too country, he said dismissively. 
Writing music didn't seem to come as easily to him these days. The biggest cost of intense notoriety was that it seemed to skew his judgement. Perhaps the hunger just wasn't there anymore. He considered that it's easy to start believing the hype when you're repeatedly told that everything you produce is gold. The lines between creativity and cliché seemed to become increasingly more blurred by the day. The musician's biggest fear was turning into a hack, a once great artist who settles on appealing to the lowest common denominator. I need a drink, he decided. He set his guitar down and poured himself a bourbon. Just as he was about to lift a glass to his lips, he heard his phone vibrate on the counter. Tom had messaged him, gone to ER. Shit, Zack said aloud. He's been attacked. Despite the dicey things he often asked of his friend, he always managed to disregard the idea that he was ever truly putting him in danger. When it came to the crunch, he was his boy, he'd never leave him high and dry. Neglecting the bourbon, Zack grabbed the keys for his Harley and put on his jacket. Claude was sat outside on a camp chair. Where you going, boss? he asked. Tom said you meant to stay here. He's hurt, Zack said. Tom is? What happened? Not sure, but I'm almost certain it's my fault. I need to go to him. Where is he? Me and Jerome will go. No, this is my doing. It needs to be me. How far away is Memorial Hospital? About half an hour. After what happened earlier, it's not safe out there, though. Jerome stood up, blocking Zack's way. I can't let you go, sir. The Aussie looked up at his towering protector. Stand down, mate. Boss. I'll be fine. I'll call you if I need you. Come on, let me get Jerome and the Escalade and we'll take you. No time. Zack sidestepped the guard and hurried around the bus to the rented bike. The intention was not to be obstinate. His only thought was haste. He checked the approximate route on his phone, hopped on the bike and sped out of the arena car park. He slithered in between the lanes on the highway like a needle tearing down each open stretch with a complete disregard for speed signs. Every moment his mind was free to wander. He tortured himself with a host of disturbing scenarios. How complacent he'd been earlier, how confident he was that his friend was being melodramatic. Only now did he consider the recklessness of the prospect. You've sent him out, back into their territory, alone, and on a fucking motorbike. His addled mind conjured images of Tom being forced off the road by a convoy, a group of men dragging him from the bike and beating him to within an inch of his life. The fact that the man had been well enough to send a text was the only saving grace. How bad were his injuries? How permanent? Regardless of whether his friend would forgive him, would he ever forgive himself? Selfish did not seem sufficient a term. He'd endangered his friend's life for a lousy bag of weed. He approached his first red light and thought about running it. Sense prevailed, however, and he came to a stop. He rocked back and forth as he stared at the fluorescent circle, willing it to change. Come on, come on! His impatient thoughts were then interrupted by a firm hand on his shoulder. Before he could react, another one reached over from the other side. He snatched at his keys in the bike's ignition and turned them, ceasing the engine. The large hand was now grasping him roughly on the inside of his arm. He tried to pull away. Off balance, he slid over the seat and stumbled, knee first onto the tarmac. The second figure had him by his other arm now. These were huge men. 
Although Zack spat and swore and struggled, he felt like a child in their grip. Without uttering a word, they walked him off the road and onto a sidewalk. Both men were wearing helmets without visors, and the rest of their faces were concealed with sunglasses and black bandanas. He could see what they were dragging him towards, an alley in between a row of seedy buildings. He struggled more vigorously, planting a hard kick to the shin of the man on his right. This prompted some decisive action. It was unclear what delivered the blow, a kosh perhaps, or something more frightening like the butt of a gun. Whatever it was, it was solid and blunt, and Zack felt a blistering pain in his rib. The jab was so swift and hard that it also seemed to expel all the air from his lungs. He wheezed, which immediately became a violent cough. He bent over and felt his legs give out. His boots dragged along the concrete for a few seconds. In an attempt to hide his weakness, he found his stride again. It's just a beating, Zack, he started to tell himself. You've had them before. He had, though perhaps not from anyone so large and definitely not from two at once. Offer them money, a little voice in his head suggested. No, just take it like a man. Look, fellas, Zack wheezed, still catching his breath from the body shot. I understand you've got to do what you've got to do, and no doubt I deserve it. Shut up, one of his captors grunted. When they were at the end of the alleyway, the silent one of the pair released Zack's arm. His accomplice immediately grabbed it, however, and a moment later Zack felt himself being launched at the wall like a rag doll. How his head did not slam against it was a miracle. He seemed to soften the majority of the impact with the side of his arm and shoulder. After bouncing off the brickwork, Zack's feet buckled from under him, and he slumped onto his back. The biker did not waste any time while Zack was down. One fierce strike from a huge boot landed below his ribs this time. Zack choked as he rolled onto his side. Almost immediately his mouth were filled with the taste of copper. Good one, he retched. On your feet, the only vocal one grunted. His balaclava had the pattern of a demented skull. Might need a minute. It was quite something that the singer had not lost his humour. The biker grabbed two firm handfuls of the breast of the singer's jacket and dragged him to his feet without too much difficulty, it seemed, despite Zack being a large and reluctant dead weight. With the little support his legs were able to provide, Zack was forced backwards and pinned to the wall. His head slumped forward. Look, man, he started in a defeated kind of protest. There was a feebleness to his voice now. Every utterance felt laboured and painful. I had no idea she was anyone's girl. And you still did what you did. Now I've got to do what I've got to do. You said you understood that. Although twisted, it was the first instance of levity from the biker's muffled mouth. This was Ronnie's partner, Zack realised. He recognised the voice and the patch on the front of his suit. Zack tried to shrug. With his shoulders firmly pinned, all he could muster was another minute bob of the head. The prospect of offering them money crossed Zack's mind again, and once more he dismissed it. The damage he'd already taken was considerable. Why add cowardice to the mix? With one large paw firmly pressing Zack into the wall, the biker released the other. In a violent lurch, he thrust his forearm into the singer's throat, squeezing it tightly. 
Zack stared at his own distorted reflection in the man's sunglasses as he struggled for air. The pressure was too strong to permit even a whimper. He felt his eyes starting to bulge. The pain was terrifying. Just as he thought his windpipe was about to cave in, the biker let up. Zack choked, gasping for oxygen before coughing red spit over the man's forearm. Don't feel like such a big man now, do you? Lads, can we not talk about this? What's there to talk about? You fucked with the wrong people. I don't care who you are. We don't let that shit slide. Zack felt a small resurgence of his energy while the biker held him with one hand, a small window to resist. He drove the heel of his boot into the man's knee, pushing at the same time with both hands. The larger man stumbled back a step and Zack slid out from the wall. Free from his grip, he had no notion of what to do next. Running was futile. His only option was to fight. With every ounce of strength he had left, he pressed forward and threw a punch at the biker, a hard right to the man's gut. At the most, it made him tense up. Fight dirty, Zack thought as he was descended on again. He kicked out at the man's groin, missing and striking the inside of his thigh. Deterred by the helmet from aiming for the head, he instead swung for the man's throat. The biker saw this coming, however, and veered away, leaving Zack to follow through at nothing. A second later, the disguised assailant slipped a large hunting knife from his pocket. The two men faced one another, Zack was panting heavily, entirely unsure of the man's next move as he brandished the blade. He lurched forward and swiped. Zack lifted his arm to shield himself and felt the knife slash against his leather sleeve. The pair then became entangled on their feet, with Zack using both hands to try and disarm the man. He was soon overpowered. The biker yanked his arm loose just as their legs became tangled. Zack slammed hard onto his back and the biker tumbled down after him. Feeling all the weight of the much larger man bearing down on him, Zack tried to wrestle free. He was gasping for breaths that were never fully acquired. Then he felt it. A smooth, cold bite in his belly, quickly followed by a second. It was not unlike receiving a sharp punch or even a swift lash on bare skin, although infinitely more shocking than either. Then there seemed to follow a peculiar icy sensation in his abdomen. The biker struggled to his feet. Let's go, he suddenly yelled at his friend. Zack thought he heard panic in his voice. As both men fled, Zack remained on his back and placed a hand over his stomach. A warm flow gushed over his gloveless fingers, issuing in rhythmic pulses. He didn't move his head to look at it. The rest of him felt cold. Breathing continued to be an intense struggle. He lay there for a while, surrendering to a gradual darkness while the blood saturated his clothes. He was just starting to slip away when he heard someone yelling, Boss! His vision dimmed and the last thing he experienced was painful pressure on his wound. The alleyway disappeared around him. Zack seemed to regain fleeting flashes of consciousness, sporadic and confusing. He seemed to experience a few seconds of lucidity here and there. He felt suction, like a plunger on his face, the fluorescent lighting of a room, unfamiliar voices shouting at one another as he flew weightless down a blinding white corridor. Then he felt his body being lifted, a torchlight glimmered in his eyes, keeping them open, 
was too difficult for more than a few seconds at a time. He saw a blur of faces standing over him, and before he slipped away once more, after one last disorientating panic of activity, everything finally seemed to calm. When he eventually regained consciousness, a room emerged around him. He could feel his own short, rasping inhalations accompanied by a sharp shooting pain in his stomach. He was lying on a bed, alone in a hospital room. Tubes were connected to either arm. As he attempted to move, he was overpowered, immeasurably, by a fierce ripping pain in his abdomen. He cried out in agony. Won't try that again, he thought. A long while passed before he thought to press the button for assistance. Mr Waters, you're awake, said the young nurse, attending his bedside. What happened? Where am I? The pain of speaking was far worse than expected. You're in Memorial Hospital, Florida, she replied. You received some pretty severe stab wounds to your stomach. You're lucky to still be with us. Am I going to be okay? Zack surprised himself with the question and the timidity of its delivery. I'll try and fetch your doctor. Sounds ominous, Zack thought. He felt drowsy, heavily sedated. The last thing he recalled was the tussle in the alley. The biker had pulled a knife on him. He must have used it. Mr Waters, it's good to see you awake. You seem surprised, Doc. Yes, your injuries were significant. Luckily you were brought here quickly and the EMTs did an excellent job. You lost a great deal of blood, young man. You've received ten transfusions. Unfortunately, there were several complications. You're not out of the woods yet. Complications? One is quite pressing, and we're going to have to deal with it immediately. You have something called peritonitis, an acute infection of the inner lining of your tummy. The extent of the infection means that we're going to have to operate. As for the other issues... The doctor paused in contemplation. Well, it's best if we discuss those later. Let's take it one step at a time. There was something about the doctor's tone and the language he used that didn't offer a modicum of reassurance. When? Zack wheezed. You'll be in theatre this afternoon. In the meantime, you have a few visitors and the police will want to take a statement. Are you up to seeing any of them? A few, he considered. Tom was the only person he could think of. And what kind of shape was he in? Zack nodded. Okay, after you've given your statement to the officers, I've suggested that you see your friends briefly, one at a time. Perhaps in light of his condition, the discussion with the two visiting officers was fleeting and less egregious than Zack was expecting. They informed him that they were following a few substantial leads for his attackers. After speaking with Jerome, they said they'd narrowed the potential culprits down to one of a few known gang members. Although Zack was unable to give a significant facial description, the suggestion that the man who'd stabbed him was over six and a half feet by his estimation was noteworthy. When the officers left, it was no shock to first be faced with Tom. His physical condition was a surprise, however. He bore no real signs of a recent beating, the colour drained from his face when he first laid eyes on the Aussie. You look better than I was picturing, Zack said to his friend. I wish the same could be said for you. That bad? Why did you leave the bus? 
I, I sent you out, he struggled to say. I shouldn't have done that, but it seems they let you off pretty lightly. What are you talking about, Zack? The bikers, he wheezed. Tom shook his head. That's not how I ended up here. Zack frowned. What, then, how? I was in a minor traffic accident, nothing to do with the bikers. I hit my head, but I'm okay. Tom looked away. I'm sorry, I was a bit disorientated. I shouldn't have texted you. I let you jump to conclusions. Ah, I thought we were in the same boat. How disappointing. No, I guess you were right. I'm forgettable. Tom ran his hand over his face. The action, as well as the way his friend was talking, produced the same effect as the conversation with the doctor. Things were serious. How do you feel, Zack? Like I've been stabbed in the gut. Zack smiled faintly. I'm not going to make it, am I, mate? What? No, Zack, why are you saying that? Just a feeling. No, you're going to get through this and we're going to finish this damn tour. Have you spoken much to the doctors? Zack asked. Tom nodded. And... Do they share your optimism? Tom said nothing. Yeah, thought so. Listen, I don't know if there's a lot to salvage, but I'm pretty certain I'm on the donor register. He paused for a long breath. I want you to make sure they use me up as best they can. I don't like the way you're talking, Zack. You're being given the best care. They're going to fix you up. Sure, but supposing they can't, maybe I'll be of some use to... Some other poor sod out there. Tom replied with another solemn nod and spoke for a little while longer. Zack's mother had been informed and she was apparently flying out. I'm sorry, Tom. Zack suddenly felt compelled to say to his friend. For what? Does it matter? For everything? The way I've treated you over the years, you've been the best friend I've ever had. Far better than I've ever deserved. Tom nodded, his face was drawn and his eyes shimmered under the lights. There's someone else waiting to see you. Good luck with the op, I'll be here as soon as you're awake. Zack nodded, although there was a chance that he was being melodramatic. He just could not shake the sense that he was on the way out. Nonetheless, his eyes lit up when his next visitor appeared. Hams, he gasped, causing searing pain. Christ, I wasn't expecting you. How did... Words were like precious currency now. Each one seemed to bear its own excruciating price. Your friend Tom called me, she said. I found it quite touching. Apparently I'm the only person you call regularly. Ah, Zack coughed. Pretty sad, I'd say. Let's go with touching. It's good to finally see you again. You came all this way to see me. I'm the one who's touched. I was actually visiting another friend, Hams replied. He's in the next ward over. Ah, he nodded. Small world. Hope they're doing better than me. Not really. Well, I'm sorry to hear it. Hams smiled weakly. He was as prepared as he could have been. That's something, I guess. Wish I could say the same thing about myself. Everyone is looking at me like an inmate on death row. 
What have the doctors said to you? That I need an operation, but I think they're holding back some other details. They probably just want to get you through that first. You, you look like you know something they don't. I think I do. Zap took a few controlled breaths this time. I'm glad you're here, even if it wasn't just for me. Hams reached forward and clutched his hand. Hers was just as soft as he'd remembered. He gently rubbed the back of it with his thumb. I think I could use some of that spiritual mumbo-jumbo you used to spout back in the day. Hams rolled her eyes and smiled. Even at death's door you're the same old Zack, aren't you? She sighed. What did you want to hear? You know, I always admired your faith. Perhaps because I've never had any of my own. Zack's words were faint now, not much more than a whisper. I've lived a shitty life, Hams. Treated people badly. I always figured it didn't really matter. But for some reason... Now I'm not so sure. Zack, Hamster stared at him with her leonine eyes and something stirred inside him at that moment as he stared back. He felt the trickle of tears down his cheeks. Am I going to pay for it? For the things I've done? His tone was rasping, thick with desperation. I can't tell you, Zack. But are you sorry for the bad stuff? Zack nodded. I am. I wish I'd done it all differently. If I had the chance, I'd change everything. If you truly feel that way, Zack, it counts for something. You know, you're the only one I've ever loved. He took a moment to catch his breath. Do you remember when I told you that? Hams nodded. He could not gauge her expression. It's never changed. You're the only woman I've ever said it to. And after everything, I never stopped loving you. Zack, I... He managed to cut across her. I don't want you to say anything. I just needed to tell you. His eyelids felt heavy, like the confession had cost him the last of his energy. He let his head fall back and rest upon the pillow. If you'd like to learn more about J.W. Voice, the author of this story, pop along to the show notes where you'll find a link to him right there. And as for Bear Books Podcast, we're on all your favourite social media, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. See you on the next episode. <laughs>